This is Fundraising Radio, and today's guest speaker we have Saeed Zainali, co-founder of Tranquil, acquired by Humana Care, and a member of Kiratsu Forum Canada. And this episode, we'll talk about angel investing, and mainly we'll talk about differences between Canada and the United States. How does the cross-border investing work? Because a lot of U.S.-based investors invest in Canada, and a lot of Canada-based investors invest in U.S. We'll talk about differences in valuation, which country is preferred for fundraising, etc. So, Said, I'll let kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Tranquil. Uh, hi, Constantine. Thank you so much for having me on uh, on your show. My name is Said. I'm an engineer by background. I have a a graduate degree in computational fluid dynamics, which is the science of uh, simulating flows. <laughs> Sounds really cool. I never actually worked as an engineer, though. I I worked as a in an oil and gas company as a project financier and project manager, and uh, for about two and a half years after graduation, and I made a slight career change and entered the mental health space, so founding <laughs> Canada's uh, first uh, or prominent virtual mental health company called Tranquil, uh, which we grew to a nationwide business and got acquired by Humanacare. And after that, I spent a few months, uh, at uh, six months at the parent company to make sure that like for asset transfer purposes. And uh, uh, then I kind of started uh, my, uh, my own consulting here and there and angel investing. And I got uh, I started Edge Collab with my business partner. Uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, which is a full-on business and software development shop for enterprises and startups. Nice. We'll definitely talk about that acquisition, by the way, a little bit later on. But first, I want to just dive a little bit deeper into what Tranquil was doing. Mm -hmm. So basically, like uh, Tranquil was a marketplace uh, to connect uh, individuals uh, with uh, mental health professionals in an effective and efficient way. Uh, so uh, we figured we wanted to use, we knew that we want to use technology uh, as a vehicle to ease the access to mental health. And uh, we did some research and through the help of our advisors, we realized that uh, a, a specific modality of uh, mental health called cognitive behavior therapy or CBT is as effective or sometimes more effective delivered over video and through digital means. So we kind of designed the platform around that. And uh, we had obviously psychologists and social workers and uh, over video, but also in person. And uh, our kind of like muscle and our strength was to kind of balance this marketplace and to make sure that we, we match and we connect uh, people with the right choice for them. And uh, uh, and that was kind of like what Tranquil was about. But obviously we had some uh, B2B uh, uh, deals as well. Like uh, for example, we uh, had uh, an agreement, uh, a contract with uh, DNZ Digital Media Zone uh, out of Toronto, which is a very large incubator for uh, I think well over 700 companies. Uh, and uh, that we were providing EAP type services like employee assistance uh, uh, type services to them and to their uh, cohort of companies. And uh, finally, actually, our acquisition was done by an EAP company or employee wellness company. And uh, uh, but, but our focus was mostly uh, through B2C or B2B2C. Nice, nice. And did you raise any money for that company or not? 
Yes, so we, we raised one round from a mix of like uh, partners at uh, uh, a few venture capital firms and uh, as well as a few angel, angel uh, investors. Mm-hmm. Also, and- part of the, the benefits of like, being a Canadian company, we got a lot of support uh, from uh, the government programs. There are mm-hmm. some non-dilutive funds that, that they are available for startups that were available at the time. And we, I think, leveraged every single one of them. <laughs> that's really cool. That's really cool. And that's, yeah. by the way, stays not quite the same for you as base stars, but still there is plenty of support from government in the United States as well. So be sure to use that before you go out and raise money. And speaking of raising money, when was the moment when you were like, all right, now it's time that we go out, we talk to investors, we raise X amount of money for this reason? Mm-hmm. I think we, we had it in mind from the very, from the get-go that we need to raise around, we need to raise money. Cause I think, and, and this is what I, when my message to uh, people like folks that are like uh, starting a company as a startup, obviously it's a, there's a major difference between like having a startup and also a lifestyle business. But if you have a startup, like you, you need to raise money because uh, first of all, like money brings money. And the second of all, it adds a layer of accountability and like puts a growth mindset uh, for you. And also people that are putting money in your company, whether they're angel investors or uh, or venture capital groups or angel networks, to begin with, they have money. So they have had some success uh, and uh, and they are they tend to be connected people as well. And with some experience uh, in general in business uh, that, that you could leverage to your advantage. Uh, and uh, we knew that we want to raise from the beginning, uh, but we wanted to first like kind of like work on create our minimum viable product. And so we have something to show to them and also like uh, test a little bit of some of the assumptions we had at the early, early days and build a good advisory board, obviously, because we were engineers, all of us uh, in this company. Uh, uh, we needed to get some external uh, uh, validation from like people within the industry, like people that are in the mental health space, kind of like uh, rubber stamping us and telling that, yes, I think this idea is cool and it's going to work. And once we had that, we kind of like started engaging uh, uh, investors. It was a kind of lengthy pro- pro- uh, process for us. Uh, because we kind of like, and we did we did not do it in the most efficient way, obviously, but it ended up working at the end. Uh, but uh, we <laughs> we were yeah, because uh, like uh, uh, we we were talking to a lot of people and uh, and also kind of like giving them updates as we were kind of uh, progressing through our journey. Because here's what I think: like a lot of times, investors like would like, especially for early early uh, founders, like first time founders. And that are kind of going into a wild space that is not vetted and is not validated. They kind of need to see like a, a trend rather than a dot or a two dots. So, and, and I'll explain, I'll elaborate a little bit on that. For example, you go talk to, to a VC firm, like I'm telling them, look like uh, we're a bunch of engineers like trying to do this. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. And then tell them a little bit about like, I'm planning, for example, to talk to, Ryerson University or to like UFD to see if I can provide some mental health support to the students. And then the next time that you go and meet with them, I say, oh, by the way, like I did talk to that university or that school. And now like we have a deal with them through which we're going to like provide services through their health and wellness center. 
So now that's the point of validation to that investor kind of de-risks mm -hmm. uh, their, their investment that they're like, okay, like uh, they claim that they're going to do something, they did it. Uh, now the next time it's just like it builds trust and, and also it shows that uh, you can actually uh, accomplish what you are uh, promising and it's, it kind of shows that your plans are not at, at all crazy. <laughs> so. <laughs> So that's also like a little bit of validation, but like retrospectively, I think like uh, it's good to be uh, a little bit more aggressive and uh, and also like kind of put a deadline and like be very aggressive about the fundraising. Like just once you have that confidence, once you know what you're doing, like once you kind of are confident in your team, just like uh, go like put three, four months on it and just like, sorry, three, four weeks on it and wrap it up. Got it. So how long did the whole process take you? So from the point when you started talking to investors to the point where you actually closed your first round, how, how, how much time passed since in that time period? Honestly, for us, like, uh, we were talking for like, for a few months at least, uh, cause like we, we started engaging them, uh, when we had our like first product and also by the way, like we were very lucky, obviously, because we were like, in my opinion, uh, the first in Canada to do like virtual mental health at that scale. Uh, we got a lot of, uh, and also we were lucky in the sense that everybody started all of a sudden talking about mental health. <laughs> so in nice. 2016 and like 15, 16, like everybody started like, it, was, like it, it, it became this cool phenomenon. Like Rock came out and talked about his depression. Like everybody was like talking about it. So we, we got a lot of media attention, uh, which was, which was really good. And, uh, and my co-founder, uh, and the CEO, Chad Komishi, uh, was, uh, was kind of like for, for a brief period of time, a celebrity. <laughs> oh, and, nice. uh, yeah. So we got a lot of like a lot of, uh, media attention, which was really like helpful, right? So it puts you on the radar and, uh, and it helps you start a conversation. Uh, but I would say like, maybe it took us four or five months at least, like uh, from the very first conversations till we, we had around closed. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. nice. That's still pretty fast, I think. So yeah. good for you guys. Uh, and one of the questions that I actually get pretty frequently is how to get on the radar. So if you're not doing something like extraordinary, uh, you know, innovative, not like you're the first person in the whole world to do this. How mm. do you get some media attention? So do you actually try writing some publications? Did you try to get on some blogs or did you try to get on some podcasts, for example? Did you actually reach out to those publishers? Yeah. So to, in my opinion, like, the, like uh, in any type of like any type of activity, I try to put myself in the shoes of the person that I'm asking them to do something. And, and then like really try to think what would they want? What would interest them? So for example, if you're, if you want to reach out to uh, a publication to talk about your business, there are two ways to do it. Like either you outright pay them. <laughs> there are some paid articles, obviously, right? Uh, and there are firms that you can engage with. They're very quite expensive, but you can actually pay them and they would do like a paid article on your on your company but generally speaking like people are not really interested to learn about your startup just if there is no story unless you're extremely successful which is a story in itself uh so if you're early day early days if you're in your early days you're a startup like nobody knows about you 
uh, you have to come up with a story. Why should they care? And this story can be like a personal story, something that if you put yourself in, in the shoes of like an editor or a writer or a journalist, uh, or at the shoes of somebody that's like kind of stumbling up in an article, you find interesting yourself. Like something that people would care about, like an inspiring story, like let's say of an immigrant, like success, like have a crazy successful story or someone who t used her or his like personal challenge and kind of build a business around it. Uh, and and also like try uh, being on, on issues that generally like general public pay attention to. Uh, it also helps, for example, like mental health is an issue that every one of us, either them, ourselves or we know someone who has had experience with. Uh, but you can't go pitch a pitch and join and that, hey, talk about my startup. You have to come up with a story. Hey, this is me. I'm an immigrant or founder. I, 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 I saw this problem myself firsthand. I talk about it publicly. I believe in this. And I, this is like, this is what we've done. And then kind of get them interested in the story rather than the business. So when, if you actually, if like if people would Google uh, Tranquil and uh, read the articles, they're not, none of them are like, uh, you don't have a, co a company profile. <laughs> it's always like a story. And then also it talks <laughs> about, about the business and, uh, and the fact that uh, like the business, like uh, is a marketplace, blah, blah, blah. Like a few details about the business. Uh, but in terms of putting on the radar of investors, in my opinion, like uh, just like try to be out there as much as possible. And you never know, like, uh, for example, one of our angel investors, like a very significant one. We met uh, when we were doing a talk at a, at a, at a high school, basically, about oh, nice. house. Yeah. <laughs> and then and she was oh, like, yeah, this is really cool. Like, I want to I wanna talk to you guys. Uh, so as, as soon as you put, us, you, you put yourself out there, I think like uh, uh, opportunities uh, present themselves to you. And, and, I, and I think uh, reach out, like uh, cold reach out as a, as a startup founder, I think should be your, like uh, one of your fortes, <laughs> how to find people and how to reach out to them. Like if you also like recommend talking to VCs, even though your idea is early stage, talk mm -hmm. to them. Don't reach out to the partner. Well, of course, reach out to the partner. Maybe they don't respond. It's okay. But uh, generally, associates are more accessible. And mm -hmm. that's what they're getting paid to do, right? They just they get paid to learn about uh, new things and new companies and present deals. And, and they generally have a little bit more time. And so talk to them. And then chances are, uh, they say, like, yeah, of course, you're too early for me. But hey, have you considered talking to this guy, for example? And then you get connected to them and like, it's kind of like a snowball. It comes down and it's, it becomes powerful. It's like, it has definitely network effects. And, uh, and then like, you want to talk about uh, your company with as many people as possible, obviously relevant. And, uh, but when you're actually raising, try to have like one-on-one -on -one conversations and, uh, and do not like, kind of like set boundaries between the people that you're talking to. Right, that's actually great advice. Reaching out to analysts and associates—that's that's a great tool. I mean, actually, I had two episodes just focusing on that, interviewing analysts at two VCs, and yeah, that seems to work. So, great advice. It seems to work. So, try it out, people. Uh, but let's talk about the acquisition part. So, do you actually plan this acquisition from the very first day? Do you put it on your pitch deck and say like, hey, this is our potential acquirer 
and then it happened or did it just you know it did it just randomly happen did you just get a proposal from uh humana care uh actually to be very honest with you, you know like the day early days we had we did not have an exit slide uh and uh we actually to be honest didn't really think about it uh our goal was to uh, to create a massive business <laughs> We were a little bit naive back uh, <laughs> right? So uh, for us, like, like, and and the numbers uh, in our financial projection, like, we're at, okay, we're gonna have ten thousand users per month at the beginning, and we didn't really think how we we're gonna acquire those customers. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, in my opinion, like, especially first-time founders, they have to be a little bit crazy to get into it anyway to begin with. Because uh, if you know too much, <laughs> if you know how much of a challenge it is to kind of like uh, start a business and grow it and make it successful, chances are you never start actually. Yeah. So, so that lack of knowledge, in my opinion, worked in our favor. And uh, uh, no, we did not have, uh, we did not plan for this. Obviously, like when we were trying to uh, do a follow-up round to go to the U.S. market, we realized actually for the first time that the Canadian and U.S. healthcare systems are completely different. Uh, we knew that they're different, but we didn't really understand how would they impact uh, our growth. And uh, and then we realized that, like, and also this opportunity presented it, uh, itself to us. We decided to engage with Humanicare, and, I, and I'm very happy with the outcome. Great people, and then I think, like, uh, the company found a really, really good home. That's really great, and you have a good point here. Some uh, the, the early stage entrepreneurs have to be a little bit crazy. That's that's true. So now yes. let's talk about your angel investing experience. So, what is Caretsu Forum, and what does it generally invest in? Mm -hmm. So Caretsu Forum. By the way, like uh, I'm just a member, not in the management uh, of of Caretsu Forum. I'm gonna be very very transparent about that. Is a is an international uh, kind of forum of investors, and people can uh, you can Google Caretsu Caretsu Forum. Uh, well over like they, they present the numbers, but they they're a major major early stage uh, uh, fund syndicator. And uh, the deals are different. Like uh, you have deals from like life sciences, from uh, all the way to like retail, all the way to even sometimes like uh, uh, not pure real estate, but like deals that have an angle of real estate as well. And uh, and basically members, uh, there's a due diligence process that the forum uh, uh, team, like operational team help to conduct. And, and then members, uh, they, decide to engage in, in companies and and invest in those like early stage uh, uh, ventures. Uh, my experience, it's, it's great. Like we are part of the, the Toronto chapter in Canada and uh, it's led by uh, Ozan and Kevin uh, and great people, very knowledgeable about investment. I feel very confident with their due diligence process. And uh, uh, but it's very much an individual decision, right? Uh, when you're when you're looking at a company, especially at at the earliest stage, if you're looking at uh, like kind of generally the space, and uh, you're looking at uh, the team, and you're looking if if you see them kind of executing on that. But as a there are two types of investors, obviously, like I don't really uh, uh, they're the kind of like people like 
maybe even yourself, you have a background in finance, right? And you see everything through the numbers lens. And uh, and that's like this, the way that you should really, quite frankly, look at an investment because at the end of the, game, the day, it's a numbers game. But uh, entrepreneurs like myself who become investors, they, they tend to have a different uh, kind of point of view. At companies. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, to be honest, we don't make great investors either. Because <laughs> 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 we may get like a little bit emotional about a company or too excited and, uh, and like try to also help, uh, which is like, uh, which is good, but also like a lot of times you have to give a space to the company as well. Uh, so, uh, so I'm, I'm in the camp of like, I choose companies that they only like fully understand. And my background is in healthcare primarily, uh, as a, as founder of, uh, edge collab, uh, and, uh, uh, uh as a co-founder of edge collab, which is a kind of my current company, we are a full on business and software development firm. Uh, and, uh, uh. We, we tend to engage in deals that we can also add value besides the capital. Uh, we can either like help them with our connections or we can uh, help them with our technology support and, uh, and a little bit more hands-on than uh, pure uh, just dropping a check. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. I mean, most yes. angel investors do that and it does make a lot of sense to do that. So let's talk about the differences between Canada and the United States. Do you do cross-border investing? So do you invest in the United States as well or Canada only? Uh, so actually, uh, no, we, I look, as an investor, you kind of go where the opportunity is, right? It doesn't, doesn't matter through Curex. So also a lot of times we do get presented by, by U.S. firm. Uh, in my opinion, like uh, there at the end of the day, it comes down of obviously a Canadian company also should have an eye on accessing the U.S. market. <laughs> if a Canadian company does not really like think about that, to me, it's just not worthy of investment. Mm -hmm. uh, right. uh, just the market is too small, right? And if a U.S. US company like can get away with not uh, accounting Canadian market, but also it's it's a good market. I mean, it's a it's a good place to be. It's a it's a uh, Canada, we have like a lot of really good talent, a very good ecosystem, and and also like uh, obviously a lot more immigrant friendly <laughs> than the, <laughs> than the, the, the current U.S. administration, yeah. uh, which which is which which is helpful obviously to startups and companies that want to acquire talent. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it doesn't doesn't really matter. Yeah. Got it. But there right. are differences. Like I can talk a little bit about like just generally what I see. Uh, although sure. like uh, my experience is is very limited. To me, there is a difference also with like uh, Canadian VCs and also U.S. based VCs. And generally, like uh, U.S. Uh, I think I tend like people tend to be a little bit more aggressive, which I actually like. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and also uh, and also like people. In terms of decision making, I think like if you talk to someone in a in a, in a US VC and they, they like you at a part of that level, uh, and they can actually throw some weight around and, and get you in. In Canada, though, there's a process like even if like your best friends with a partner, they have to get approval and then you have to go through a, a process. Uh, so in that sense, uh, things can happen faster, like uh, with US firms. Uh, and uh, and, I, and even in, in terms of companies as well, there are a lot more uh, can Canadians like are a lot more on the with a careful plan and everything. 
viewers just like let's figure it out as we do it <laughs> right so uh, <laughs> this is my kind of anecdotal experience mm -hmm. right so let's talk about the fundraising now during this pandemic so what's going on from your perspective so what do you see uh in the fundraising world right now i think uh the, the, there are deals that are being made uh there are investments that are happening like i know personally i haven't myself invested in anything in the during the pandemic but i have i'm looking at one right now uh but uh but if i have i know a few a few companies that have closed their rounds through zoom uh to me like as long as you're not like raising in in, in leisure or hospitality space <laughs> which is very uncertain <laughs> right now yeah uh, this is an episode that's gonna kind of like go away we're like we're not gonna this is not gonna be around forever right so uh if you have a good company like uh, you will have a good company <laughs> if you don't have a good company mm -hmm. you will not have a good company yeah <laughs> like uh through the pandemic there's no better like a marketplace than amazon still right so <laughs> there's uh, no better social media than like facebook and instagram still like doesn't doesn't mm -hmm. matter pandemic like uh didn't make a huge difference if you have a good good product actually even that don't uh don't myself personally don't really get excited about uh, uh opportunities or companies that like seem too opportunistic and because uh, to me like uh the, the core of it like should your business should work regardless if it is a pandemic or not yeah <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> Yeah, a good example for you guys, uh, you know about Top Hat, uh, a Canadian company? No, to be honest, never heard of that. So they are like, check them out. They're an amazing business. Uh, they are a Canadian. They are thinking like in 700, 800 universities already. Uh, they are in ed tech, very successful business, like very, very successful. And uh, they had a very good business before pandemic. But now with COVID, they, they, people are looking at them to, like, to hold virtual classes and using their like, features in, in like next level. This pandemic kind of gave them a boost, which is a perfect scenario. But if people are using you only because it's pandemic, then it's not a good business, quite frankly. You're, you're counting like, on people, like people's misery. <laughs> like, so, so there's another pandemic or people always live in this condition in order for your business to work. I don't like that, to be honest. Oh yeah, no, no way. I actually was advised multiple times uh, to like start focusing heavily on the pandemic, on the fundraising during pandemic on this podcast. And I'm like, no, no, no. Later on, the pandemic will be gone in a few months. It's going to be all right. And yes. what's going to happen to that content that I'm generating right now then about pandemic? So uh, I we're definitely on the same page here. So. Let's move on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So what's that one thing that you would recommend the listener to do as soon as the episode is over? I, I think like uh, uh, what's, uh, what would be very helpful for them is to uh, read about uh, comp other companies in this space. Like when you're starting a business, there is a reason why people doing things in this in a, in a specific way. Uh, if you are like coming up with a disruptive idea uh, that is very, very disruptive, <laughs> and then you kind of look into the do market research and you figure out nobody else is actually like your competitors, people that are in the space are not doing it. The initial uh, 
initial impression should not be that I'm, I'm super smart and nobody has actually thought about it. Chances are people have actually <laughs> thought about it <laughs> and, and find out why they haven't done it and, and see if you can fix that fundamental problem. And if only if you can fix that, then, then that's a good catch. If not, then you're going to like uh, waste like six or seven months and then you'll find out, oh, there's a roadblock. <laughs> uh, right. So, uh, so there is like, for example, like, uh, uh, in, in, yeah, there's a reason why people do things in a certain way. And I'm not like advising myself and people to be too conservative. Do not think out outside of the box. Look, I'm guilty of always like being super, super ambitious. And I take even honor in that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but people like, uh, you have to trust in the collective, <laughs> Uh, collective smartness of the of of the society. <laughs> and, uh, right. There are a lot of smart people out there, and uh, and if people are not doing a very specific thing, or they or they're not doing in the way that you think uh, they should do it, the uh, chances are there's a reason for it. And if there is not a reason, and they, and you talk to people within the industry, it's like, oh, that sounds like a great idea. There's no roadblocks. Then that that's like that's a very very innovative business uh but before that uh, you're probably like you're off to waste your time for it <laughs> yeah you will definitely <laughs> waste a lot of time making that research but you know it's going to pay off at the end so great call to action and this yeah. great call to action will wrap it up thanks a lot said for coming up and for Thank you. your knowledge in the field i think it was really insightful episode so thanks a lot for that appreciate it thank you so much and uh, I, I hope you guys are stay safe and healthy.